Heavenly Father, our souls, many of us in this room, our souls are impatient in longing for your salvation. We would love Jesus to return right now so that we could go to be with him in glory. But Lord, this is not your will as evident at this moment in time. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to put our hope in your word and trust in your timing as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ once more. Lord, we pray that this would kindle our hearts afresh to love him and appreciate him for the moments that we share here on this earth. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we are returning to our series in John chapter 11. Uh, we were spending some time in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we got to 1 Samuel chapter 7, and I think there's a nice break there between chapters 7 and 8. And so I thought I'd return to our series in John chapter 11. So we've been working our way through the book of John, and particularly looking at the miracles of the Lord Jesus. John is very good at bringing forward, forward particular events in Jesus' life that were miraculous. And then looking at the teachings of the Lord Jesus, which is often connected in some way to that miracle that he has performed. And we've also seen how Jesus interacts with the Jewish people and particularly the Jewish leaders. Last time we looked at John's gospel together, we looked at John John chapter 9 and John chapter 10, and we looked at how Jesus healed this man who had been born blind and connected that to the statement that he is the light of the world, that he opens the eyes not just of those who are physically blind, but also those who are spiritually blind. And then in John chapter 10, we saw that Jesus is not just the light of the world, but in John chapter 10, we find out that he is the good shepherd, and he is also the gate for the sheep. And so we unpacked what that meant, that Jesus is the good shepherd, and that he is the gateway for eternal life. And so this morning we come to chapter 11, chapter 11 of John's Gospel. And so I encourage you, if you've got a black Bible, uh, to open it up in front of you, one of the church Bibles, to page 1063. Page 1063. And in this chapter, we see Jesus make another statement about who he is. We saw that he was the light of the world in chapter 9. We saw that he is the good shepherd in chapter 10 and the gate. And in chapter 11, he makes this wonderful statement in verse 25 that he is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And this comes in the context of a friend of his uh, being unwell. And so we'll pick up the narrative in verse 1 of chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 1, where we start with the news that a man named Lazarus was sick. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. 
After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So Jesus finds out in this section that his friend Lazarus uh, is unwell. Uh, Lazarus's Uh, sisters Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick and Jesus then waits a couple of days before then proceeding to go and see Lazarus and his sisters and so then he moves on in verse 17 we read on his arrival Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. So Jesus reaches the place where Lazarus lived, and that was in Bethany, and he finds out that Lazarus has been dead for four days and Martha the sister of Lazarus comes out to meet him and to speak to him and he makes this uh, astounding statement about being the resurrection and the life and asking her whether she trusts in him and so then we see that she goes back and gets her sister Mary verse 28 of John chapter 11 and after she had said this she went back and called her sister Mary aside the teacher is here she said and is asking for you When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died.'" So Jesus has arrived at Bethany, he's had Martha come and visit him uh, on the outskirts, and now she's gone back and got Mary, the other sister of Lazarus, and they're both uh, there with the Lord Jesus, along with other Jews, other friends of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And then we see Jesus' response to seeing all these people coming in in tears uh, before him. So verse 33 of John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus has now uh, seen these people. They're all crying. He has moved himself. We see that he weeps himself. And then he says, take away the stone from the entrance and praise this prayer that we just read. And what does he do after that? Well, verse 43. Verse 43 of John chapter 11. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here we see this tremendous miracle, this man who's been dead for four days. Jesus calls to him and he is raised to life and comes out with the strips of linen upon him. And so then we're curious as to what sort of effect did this have upon the people there? Jesus raising quite clearly a man from the dead and in, in front of so many different witnesses, not just Martha and Mary and Jesus' disciples, but also with all the friends of Martha, Mary and Lazarus. What is the result? Well, verse 45. Verse 45 of John chapter 11. <clears throat> then many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. When the chief priests and the Pharisees called a, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. What is the response to Jesus' miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead? Well, we see in verse 45 that many believe. But we also see that this makes the religious leaders very angry. They're very upset. They're very concerned about the effects that this will have upon the people. And so their decision is not to believe in Jesus, but instead to put Jesus to death. And so we're confronted with this miracle this morning as well. We hear about Jesus raising a man who was dead for four days, and we have to ask the question, why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus raise this man? And there's a few reasons that we can see clearly in the text. One is for the comfort of those that Jesus loves. We see that Jesus loved his friends, Lazarus and Martha and Mary. We see that in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. And so I'm sure he would want to comfort them by giving them back the life of their dead brother. But not only those who are connected to Lazarus by blood, but he also wants to, I'm sure, comfort the other people who are upset, who loved Lazarus as well. And we see the friends of Martha and Mary and Lazarus are mentioned in the text as well. And they're all weeping about it as well. Death is a horrible thing. And they're concerned about the loss of their 
friend Lazarus. And so Jesus, by bringing him back to life, of course, would comfort them. And even he would bring comfort to himself. We see that Jesus is moved in this passage too by the death of Lazarus. We see that Jesus weeps in response to the death of Lazarus. And so it's a comfort to him, I'm sure, to be able to bring Lazarus back from the dead. But if it is purely for the comfort of the people, why didn't Jesus just heal Lazarus remotely? When he is told about Lazarus is uh, told that Lazarus is sick, we know that Jesus has the ability in other examples of his healing to heal someone by uh, proxy, by well, uh, by distance. He is able to heal someone who's a long way away, and he could do this easily for Lazarus. Why would he also then wait two more days before going and seeing Lazarus? Why would he wait two days so that Lazarus is officially dead and in the tomb? If he's really just wanting to comfort those that he loves by raising Lazarus to dead, why didn't he just heal him and prevent them from any sorrow at all in seeing their friend die? Another reason that we may give for why Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead is that people would trust in him. And we see that in the text as well. We see Jesus explicitly saying this to his disciples, to those uh, students of his that are following him around. We see in verse 14, he speaks to them and he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So that you may believe. And we saw in in verse 45 that many people did believe as a result of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so we could look at this and say, here is a reason to believe that Jesus will raise us from the dead one day. That Lazarus is a proof of the Lord Jesus raising us to life one day. That he has, there is proof of his power. And we know that John's gospel is written so that we would believe. We know in John chapter 20 that these things were written down so that we would believe in the Lord Jesus as readers of these events so many years later. So yes, those are good reasons for why Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, for the comfort of those who are mourning for Lazarus, but also to cause people to trust in the Lord Jesus. But is there a reason that underlies all reasons why Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead? What is the reason that is behind everything? Well, we see that in verse 4. Did you notice it? In verse 4, John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for, what's it for? For God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. The reason Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The reason he allows the sickness to end in death, this death of Lazarus, and then raise him from the dead so that the end is not actually death itself, but instead the resurrection of Lazarus, it's for God's glory and for the Son's glory through that event as well. But what does it mean that God is glorified through the resurrection of Lazarus? What does it mean to glorify God? Well, to glorify God is to understand who he is in his attributes and give him honour for who he is. As we look at him and understand who he actually is, we are led to praise and honour him and to glorify him, to give him the glory for who he is. And God shows his attributes by the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. We see his power in being able to raise someone who's been dead for four days. We see his love and his grace 
uh, in doing this for those that he loves and cares for. We see his justice, that he is raising someone from death and has their power over death despite the fact that the wages of sin is death and that we know that all men have sinned and Lazarus deserves to die. But we see that some way the Lord is just in being able to raise Lazarus from the dead. And we also see his wisdom in knowing how to do this. If I asked you in this room to raise someone from the dead, even if they've been only dead for four hours, you'd struggle to know what to do. You might do a bit of CPR on them. But you'd struggle, particularly if they've been dead for four days. But we see here the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is the reason that underlies all other reasons in the, uh, the, this account that we have here of the resurrection of Lazarus. It is the glory of God that his attributes would be shown and that the attributes of the Son, who is God himself as well, would be demonstrated. But I think it's not just about the glory of God through the resurrection of Lazarus that happens here either, that it's also the glory that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as well. Because in verse 4, it says that this sickness will not end in death. This sickness of Lazarus will not end in death. Instead, it will end in the glory of God. What is that speaking about? Well, of course, the resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, He comes back to life. But it's interesting that the sickness of Lazarus actually ends up leading to the death of the Lord Jesus as well. What do we see happens as a result of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? The Jewish leaders make a firm decision that they are now going to put Jesus to death. And Jesus is now very close to Jerusalem where they can get him and crucify him. What is the end of the sickness of Lazarus? Well, it's the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he raises Lazarus from the dead, many people trust in him, which aggravates the religious leaders, which then decide in a formal Sanhedrin hearing that they will put Jesus to death. They've tried to put Jesus to death at other occasions as a bit of a mob violence, but now they're actually deciding in a court that Jesus is worthy of death. And that is the way that God is glorified is by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is mentioned quite a lot in John's Gospel. And it's often spoken about as it's it's usually connected to Jesus' death. That it is Jesus' death and resurrection that is the supreme work of God's glory on this earth. And we can see that if you just look over to John chapter 12, verse 23. John 12, verse 23, the next page over. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This comes after the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. The hour has come for the Son of Man, that's himself, to be glorified. Now, how will he be glorified? Hasn't he already been glorified by raising Lazarus from the dead? No, he's speaking about another event that is to come. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He connects it right there to his death by giving the example of a seed dying and falling to the ground. Jesus' death and resurrection are the supreme work of God's glory here on this earth. Now you may say, how can a death bring Jesus glory? How does the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection bring glory to God? Isn't death a bad thing? How can you be glorified by death? Everyone in this passage is pretty much troubled by death. 
We see the disciples are worried about Jesus going back to Jerusalem because they know that he'll be killed if he's there. We see that in verse 8 of John chapter 11. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there. And then in verse 16, Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. They're very depressed about the idea of death, but they're willing to go to it with the Lord Jesus. And of course, we see Martha, Mary, and friends. They're all upset by the death of Lazarus, so they know that death is a bad thing. So how can glory come through the death of the Lord Jesus? Well, Jesus sees death as an opportunity to show his attributes, show his attributes and show the attributes of God himself. By the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that sinners are saved. And by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we know that sinners are justified before God. And so when we look at the cross and we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we actually see God and we see a display of his attributes like no other in this world. As we look at the cross, we see God's love and mercy and goodness and kindness and grace and compassion as he redeems sinners. As we look at the cross, we see God's justice and holiness as he pays for sin. That he doesn't say, it's okay, sinners, you can come into my heaven. No, he pays for sin before he admits them into his heaven. That he is a just God, that he makes sure that the wrath that we deserve was poured out upon the Lord Jesus. And as we look at the cross, we see, of course, his power over death, over sin, over Satan and the world, because at the cross, He paid for sin and then he triumphed over death by his resurrection. And we also see God's wisdom at the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in knowing that his death was the only way of salvation. There is no other way that we could be admitted into, into heaven except by the death of a perfect man and a perfect God dying there in unison in the one person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's glory is manifest in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ like no other. And that is the end of Lazarus's sickness. Because Lazarus was sick, he died. Jesus raised him to life. Because Jesus raised him to life, he then went to the cross. And therefore, he died a death of glorious death for the Lord and also was raised to life because he died. So do you want to see the glory of God? Do you want to see who God is, to see his attributes displayed? Then look at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We cannot ignore the death of the Son of God and claim to know God and to honour God. This is where false religions fail. Islam sadly knows little about honouring God while denying the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Judaism sadly knows little about honouring God while denying the resurrection of Jesus. Islam denies that Jesus ever ever died on the cross. Judaism, of course, they know he died because they put him to death, but they deny his resurrection. They deny that he came back to life. And so they do not know God as we know him, the attributes displayed there at the cross. What does this mean for us practically? If we see God's glory at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. What does it mean practically for us? Well, we should trust in Jesus. We should trust in him. He's the resurrection and the life, as it says in verse 25. And so we should trust in him. Jesus is the one who is able to raise the dead. 
He's given us this wonderful promise that if we believe in him, we will be raised to life. We'll be raised from the dead. And that's there for us in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Even though you die, he will, you will live again. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That question is for all of us in this room this morning as well. Do you believe this? Do you trust that Jesus died for you and that one day he will raise you from the dead as a perfect person because he has paid for all your sins at the cross? Jesus confronts all of you in this room this morning and there's no sitting on the fence. There's only belief and unbelief. I know some people think that Not believing in Jesus isn't a big deal. It's not that offensive. Well, it is very offensive. If you say to someone, I don't believe you, I don't believe in you, I don't believe you even exist before me, that's quite insulting. And Jesus asks you now, do you believe in me? And if you say, no, that's quite hostile. You may as well join in with the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders in putting Jesus to death. It's an act of hostility. Unbelief is a sickness that ends in death. Jesus said that the sickness that Lazarus was experiencing would not end in death. No, because he would be raised to life and then, of course, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, he would be raised again and go into the heavenly reward. But the death of unbelief is an eternal death. The sickness of unbelief leads to that. And you will experience that as you continue to disbelieve, mistrust Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And so my question for you is the same question that Jesus asked many years ago of Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? There's no more important question that can be asked of you in your entire lifetime. And I encourage you, if you find that you are sitting on the fence, which is impossible, or you're sitting in unbelief this morning, then come over and trust in Jesus Christ and have that resurrection that only he can give. He is the resurrection and the life. He's not a resurrection, that there's another way through Krishna, through Allah, through somebody else. No, he is the resurrection and the life. Don't ignore him any longer. Don't act as though I don't believe in you isn't an insult. It is, and it will end in death. But if you do believe, and you're here this morning, remember to live your life for God's glory, not your own. We can see this in this text as well, that Lazarus's life was used for the glory of God. And I'm sure the sickness wasn't fun to experience, and I'm not, I'd be interested to know what he got up to for four days uh, while he was in the tomb, where his spirit went. It would have been great to have a chat with him, but we have no record for us uh, in the text. But I'm sure I'm, uh, there would have been a point where he's not really intre- uh, impressed that this is the way that God is going to glorify himself by letting Lazarus die. But this is where we learn that this is what our lives are for, the glory of God, to display God. We think, our, we think of our lives are about us, my life, my body, my soul, my work, my things. But the purpose of our lives is to display the glory of God, just as Lazarus's life and death was. So does the glory of God, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, does the glory of God motivate you as you seek to live your life? 
Did your actions in this last week give glory to God is a question that we should be asking of ourselves. On Tuesday night at Bible study, we were actually looking at different motivations for why we should be obedient to God. And we're looking at different motivations that were there and that are in the scriptures. And there's a motivation of being thankful uh, to what God has done. There's a motivation of love as we love God. There's a motivation of joy as we obey God's law, we experience joy. There's a motivation of heavenly rewards, which is spoken of in the scriptures. There's also the fear of discipline. If we disobey God's word, he disciplines those he loves. And there's also the, the assurance that we get. As we obey God's law, we see God working in us and we are assured of his love for us and his work within us. God gives us many good motivations to be obedient. But what's the supreme motivation? Well, it's the same one that was a motivation for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead and to go to the cross and die and raise himself from the dead. It is the glory of God, the glory of our creator, our Redeemer, and we should then want our lives to display God's attributes as Lazarus's life and death did as well. You say, how? How can I show God's glory by my life? Well, there's many examples. By repenting and believing in Jesus, we show God's mercy and compassion that he would take wretches like me and like you and bring you to himself. That shows his mercy and his compassion. By being obedient to his laws, you show God's holiness and justice and righteousness as you live our life according to his word. You show how right he is. By enjoying his blessings, you show God's goodness and grace in giving you many good things in this world. By enduring pain and suffering, you show the attribute of God's strength, that you can handle what is thrown at you. Because he works in you. He strengthens you day by day. And so his power is displayed in your life. And by your own death and resurrection, God will show his power in a wonderful way that we haven't seen in this world except for when Jesus was raising people to life and, of course, uh, when he raised himself to life. Uh, We will see our resurrection is not just about us, which we like to think it is. Our resurrection is about displaying God in his attributes, his work in our life as he raises us. So is your life about the glory of God? Are you motivated to give God glory? Is that the supreme motivation for the way you live your life? Think of a soldier in the army. Think of the hard work he does. He works, he trains, he suffers in awful conditions, both when he's in training, as he's put through the ropes, and then, of course, when he's taken overseas to fight. He's even ready to die for his employer. Now, why does a soldier do that? Why does he train so hard? Why does he go through such horrible conditions? Why is he willing to die? Well, there's many reasons why people go into the military. They can enjoy the work. They actually like doing the job of a soldier. There's nice pay. Uh, particularly if you're in a country like ours. Uh, There's skills and training that you learn by joining the military. Uh, They'll pay for some of your education, and and I often see that as an ad that they use uh, for the military, join the Defence Force. They will train you up for free. There's the, the goal of promotions and power. If you like power, you might like to join the military. You'll be put in positions of authority and be able to bark orders, and people will be able to jump to... Uh, whatever you're giving them to do. There's also the opportunity to see the world. Uh, That's one of the things that they say, join the Navy, see the world. 
They don't tell you that the world is 70% water, and so you see a lot of, lot of water. Uh, you don't see much of the world, particularly if you never land anywhere. You just go around in circles in the ocean. Uh, but some people say, oh, I get to see other countries by joining the military. And these are all motivations that may give a soldier a reason to join the military. But what is the biggest reason? What is the main reason that a soldier would be ready to die for his employer? After all, if you're dead, you can't enjoy the work any longer. You can't enjoy the pay. You can't enjoy the skills because you're not doing them anymore. You can't enjoy promotions because you're, you're dead. And you can't see the world because you're no longer in it. So what is the motivation for a soldier? What would be the main motivation that underlies all that he does? Well, it's because he believes in the glory of his country. I would say that's one of the main motivations that underlies all the reasons why people would join the military. He has a country worth fighting for. He has a people worth living for. He has leaders worth dying for. And that is the reason he is in the military, because he believes in the glory of his country. And he's willing to die so that he will be glorified in the sacrifice he makes of his life and so that his country will be glorified as they see someone die for the sake of their country. And that's a nice parallel for us as Christians. How? Well, we enjoy many benefits for being a Christian, just as Lazarus and his friends did for knowing the Lord Jesus. They got many benefits out of it. I mean, Lazarus got raised back to life there. as a nice benefit. His sisters, of course, got the enjoyment of having their friend come back. And we see again and again in the scriptures, people get blessings. And we experience that as well. Being a Christian has given me a peace and a, a joy in this world that I haven't experienced from anything else. And so we get many benefits as a Christian. But we live primarily to show God's glory because we believe our God is glorious. Think of that soldier. He thinks his country is glorious. He thinks his people are glorious. And so he is willing to lay down his life. And it's the same for us. We know how glorious our God is, how wonderful he is. And we look at his attributes and we say, this God is worth living for. This God is worth dying for. And so we live for his glory. If you're here this morning and you're not interested in displaying the glory of God in your life, you're not interested in keeping his laws, being obedient to him, then you need to go back and look at the cross. You need to look at how glorious God is as displayed on the cross. Because that, as we saw before when we looked at it, that that is the supreme work of God's glory in this world. That is where we see his attributes displayed like no other. And as you look at that cross, you see that this is a God who is worth dying for because he died for you as well. That passage that we had read for us before from Isaiah chapter 60 talks so well of this. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. The glory of God has appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has appeared there at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus if you can't see that, ask the Holy Spirit this morning. If you cannot see that your God is worth being obedient to, if your God is not worth living for and dying for, then ask the Holy Spirit to show you the glory of the Lord Jesus at the cross. 
And then as you see his glory, you'll be willing to do anything for him because you know he is this wonderful God. He is your creator and he deserves all honor, all respect, and he deserves whatever he wants you to do. There's some moments in my life where I consider this. I consider how glorious the Lord is. And there's this moment, I'm not sure if it's right or true, I haven't stolen it from any book. Most of the things that I say I steal from someone, I borrow them from somewhere. Uh, usually the, the Word of God is where I'm getting my ideas from, but I also get them from many books that I read. But there's this sense sometimes that I go, you are God, I am nothing. If it would give you glory, send me to hell. If it would give you glory, send me to hell. Now, That could be wrong. And I love that God won't do it because I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's this sense where whatever you want me to do, use me for it because you are God and I am nothing. And you are this wonderful God who came and died on the cross and was raised to life. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it for you. Do you have that commitment to God that your life will be swallowed up in his glory. Let us come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a glorious God and we thank you for showing us your glory by the resurrection of Lazarus. But most of all, we thank you for showing us your glory in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not using our lives to give you as much glory as we should. But, Lord, we thank you that you forgive us through the Lord Jesus. But as we come before you now, we ask that you would forgive us for not giving you the glory as you deserve, but you would also help us to give us that glory that you deserve and that you would use us to give yourself honour and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.